0: This podcast is distributed for informational purposes, and listeners should refer to important disclosures in the blog and the website for more information. Welcome to the Wealthcast, where host Charles Bowinski and his guests share their global expertise and the most current information for your financial planning needs. Each inspiring interview will help you to maximize your financial stability and growth so you can have more time doing the things you love. And now, here's Charles.
1: Hello and welcome to The Wealthcast. I'm your host, Charles Bowensky. On this podcast, we bring you the information that you need to know in order to be a good steward of your wealth, reach your goals, and improve society. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have my friend Gary Pika as a guest on the show. Gary is a very successful entrepreneur and business coach and has been a significant positive influence on my career. Gary, welcome to the Wealthcast. I'm so glad to have you here and I'm so excited to talk to you about your experience as an entrepreneur and a coach and uh, just share with the audience uh, all of your experiences which I have th- found so valuable over the years. So thanks for being here.
2: Oh, my pleasure.
1: I'm I'm really happy to spend some time with you always. Well let's let's start at the beginning. It's usually the best place to start. And we're not going to go all the way back to Penn State, your years at Penn State, but let's start at the at the beginning of your latest iteration at Mind at True Methods and let's talk about sort of how that came to be and yeah, and what your challenges were in the beginning. And then maybe we can talk about uh, some of the coaching that you did over the years.
2: Prior to 1996, when I became an entrepreneur, my career was in sales. So I had to kind of learn that, how to become a professional salesperson. And then... Um, Through, Like many people, through a set of circumstances, I ended up in a business with a partner who was a childhood friend of mine, an IT business called Dynamic Digital Services. You know, that's really was probably one of the tougher times in my career. What I realized was I didn't know anything about running a business and there wasn't a lot of places to go and look. I had to try to find mentors, read books. I had to work so hard to become, you know, I'm going to say just a minimally competent business person. But the timing was good also was going on in the industry of IT at that time. And um, we transitioned to a term called a managed service provider and was able to scale that business from zero to 7,000 end users under management. At that time, it was one of the largest in in the country back then. And then in 2005, we were acquired by Mindshift Technology. They were a venture-backed entity that eventually sold to Best Buy. And then in 2009, I started True Methods and we do, um, for the IT industry, we do training, peer groups, and we have a software, operational software that, that my customers use, uh, like a cloud subscription software. During that time, I invested in another MSP and we fixed that one up. And uh, I also was able to exit that. So,
1: so you've had a lot of experience uh, sort of starting from scratch and and building stuff, uh, which I think is really interesting for for the listeners. From your perspective. What's the biggest challenge that you faced? You know, there's the, obviously there are financial challenges when you start, start something up, but what are the other challenges in addition to the financial part, the psychological challenges or, or just personal challenges?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I view them differently now. That I look back. And then maybe in the beginning, when I was living them, when I built the IT company, and in the beginning of True Methods, when, you know, I, I'm trying to build competence in in each of those businesses, and and just all the failures and setbacks that come from making mistakes and unintended consequences of of decisions. You know, when we started doing like for 10 years, I've been running peer groups. So there are uh, groups that we put together of IT providers that you know share information and we help them do benchmarking. We have about 150 MSPs in those groups, but I've got to watch it over 10 years. So seeing how we give everybody access to the same resources, the same content, the same training, but they've got very different results over time, I started to see that there's things that hold all of us back in life. I refer to a book that I love by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. And in it, he talks about the upper limit problem. We all have some upper limit in terms of, you know, how much money, how much success, how much love we think we deserve. And it goes all the way back to, you know, your experiences and businesses and all the way back to growing up and everything that, that builds your self-image. And unless you understand your upper limit problem and can start to solve for that upper limit problem, you will get stuck. And that's what happened to me. And there was points at which I got stuck. I got to a certain level and then it would take me time. We'd get stuck there for a little bit and then I'd have to regroup. But in recent years, as I've kind of understood that, I've been able to to move out those barriers. And and the two biggest obstacles to success that hold you back are one, being defensive. Like... (laughs) Not being open enough to different perspectives. And then the other one is the need to be right. And if you're an entrepreneur, you have that to some degree. Like, you know, we think we can order pizza better, you know, than other people. Right. So consciously learning. to to let go of that and finding people who have done what you would like to do and taking their advice whole until you're successful and not applying your own logic that only got you where, where you are. I mean, I have built these successful businesses and I meet people from that business and I tell them some things and they're like, well, I'll do that part, but I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, well, why would you not do all of it? You've been in business 10 years and your business has only got to here. Like, what possibly would you have to lose? And what they have to lose is admitting that maybe they weren't right. Does that make sense, Chas?
1: Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, I'm curious if, in terms of the the members, the 150 members, if the upper limit problems that they're facing are they are they similar? Are there are they are there 150 different upper limit problems, or is it is it all about just needing to be right, and, et cetera? Is it more broad?
2: Yeah. I mean, I give those obstacles, but really what it's about is something more complex and it has to do with your self-image. So I thought my job when we started these peer groups and I started doing training was my job was just going to, I was going to tell people what to do. That was my job. And then they we're going to do it. What I realized is I was completely wrong. Really what my job is, is to help people discover what holds them back mm-hmm. and try to put mechanisms in place to build their self-image to get them to have enough focus and discipline to see some results. And then when they get results, their self-image raises to meet that. And then they start to understand what that process is. Part of it in business is being a professional business person. And we can talk about what that means, but it's really working with them and understanding it. And they've all made progress. Some of them like are different people and, you know, they run unbelievable businesses. Like I'm in awe of it, of what they've done and other ones you know, not as much, but relative to where they are, they've done much better and they're really happy. And I, I guess I always see, sometimes I feel like I see more potential in people and some of the people than they see in themselves. And, in, and it, it's trying to lead them to see like what they have inside them. I mean, not just about making money, but just being the best they can be, helping their team members, finding what I would call, again, from the book, The Big Leap, their zone of genius. That thing that they love to do and they're, they're uniquely good at, and impacts the business in a positive way. And figuring out how to spend more time there, and then once you do, start to teach other people who work for you, put them in a position to do that, and great things start to happen.
1: Yeah, it's a common it's a common issue, isn't it? I think uh, in in certainly the experiences I've had where you have people that are really technically, you know, very competent, yeah. really good at their at their technical skills but making that leap to think about being a business professional and running a business it's it's a hard leap it's not easy i wondered you know how you how you help people through that process what did you find worked to help them through
2: so number 1 is really just giving them that message like look you're in business <laughs> Like, in in this case, we work with people, a lot of them have technical backgrounds. I understand you love the tech and I understand you love talking to customers. That's not what it takes to build a business. And the reason you don't like running the business or doing sales in the business as much is because you're not good at it. You stink at it. Mm -hmm. But if you can put those skill sets in place, I have found that most people enjoy that piece more. It's more exciting. They can impact more people. So it's really first just kind of holding the mirror up to them uh, on it. And then we try to get them into a structure right through the peer groups of you know, how to understand their numbers and have commander over the business, how to prioritize whatever their go to market is, because they normally don't tend to do that. Put a business planning process in place where we're looking at what the priorities are, saying no to a lot of things, coming up with the three or four things a quarter that are most important, making sure you execute on those, making sure they tie to your annual goals and your three-year targets and your 10-year and your vision, and get them into that process of executing. Because if they can do that and then add the one other ingredient, which is you know, purpose, vision, and culture, then you're on your way right so i found that once i once i got down the process like i run my businesses for 13 week periods a year we know what's important we say no to everything else and we work to execute we always get the most important thing done every quarter no matter what no matter what even if there's a pandemic mm-hmm. we, the one most important thing we said we would do and once i got good at that and then i started to understand people how important purpose was that The one thing we all share is we all want to feel like we're part of something that's bigger than just us. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a failure I had when I first was a business owner. I was not a good leader because I assumed that everybody wanted the same things out of life that I did. And I was wrong 99% of the time. And when I realized that, Chaz, everything started to change, right? And I started to figure out it wasn't just giving people raises and people try to do everything where if they do this, they make a little more money or a little less. And I'm not saying don't have incentive plans, but that's not the main driver for almost everyone that that I've hired, hundreds of people that I've hired. They want to know what good looks like in their job. They want to be able to help their customers. They want to know how they fit into your plan. They want to be able to know how what they do impacts the team members. They want to feel part of something bigger than just them. And man... If you ever read that little saying that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, Mm -hmm. it just forgives so many other sins that people are trying to manage their way to success rather than lead people to success.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense to me. I I wonder, based on what you were saying earlier, what the role of fear of failure or or failing has in having trouble making a leap from technician to, to business owner. It's huge. Right, it's massive.
2: With that in particular, because you're gonna fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as you start to do that, it's not something that you have immediate success with and make all the right decisions. And I feel like this is what holds everybody back, you know, in in life. And I remember before I started True Methods, I, I was really scared to fail to start a business with no customers and no employees and no product. But what we try to preach to people is there's something worse than failure that you should fear. And if you learn to fear it, you will learn to accept failure. And that is mediocrity. Because uh, I use an example, because it's easy to use of salespeople. There's so many salespeople that are like the 75, 80% salespeople. They sell just enough that they don't get fired and have to go out and try to start over and find what they're good at, but not enough to ever make money or hit the multipliers that you should get when you're a salesperson so i encourage not only my members and my employees but my children be afraid of mediocrity don't be afraid to fail at wherever it is if you want to fulfill your potential there's no way to do it without a lot of failure the more successful you are the more failures but guess what when i do a lot of interviews and and things in my industry no one really asks me a lot about my failures they only care about the successes, you know. Sure. We, you know, we don't care how many shots that Gretzky took that he didn't make. We only cared about how many how many he made.
1: That's right. You know, from my perspective, failure is additive. It doesn't take away; it only adds to your experience. And no one likes to, you know. I'm as hard on myself as anybody else might be when when something doesn't go right. But I I try to learn from that. And I think if you can if you can do that, and and that I would tell that to anybody if you can if you can learn to fail forward and make mistakes and learn from them and then build on those mistakes, you you have the chance of building something that's unique and valuable. And otherwise, you are mediocre.
2: Yeah. Jim Collins said you learn from every mistake in business that you survive.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah.
2: From from every from every mistake and from every failure and and there's something that I read once that I love that says um, your ability to succeed is directly proportional to the number of times you fail and keep on trying and the thing about failure is once you get good at it that's when you start to take off the limits. And there's one simple question I always ask myself when I have to make a tough decision. And maybe sometimes in business, you don't really know what the best decision is. Like there's some degree that you just you have all the facts and you're just not all the way there. That happens so often. And so I always ask my team, "Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen?" Let's talk through that. Can we live with that? Can we recover with that? Can we pivot from that? If the answer is yes, I'm like, put down our pencils and let's go.
1: Yep. That makes put down your pencils. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, in my role, I deal with a lot of successful people and that is a very common sort of underpinning to their success is their, their willingness to do the uncomfortable, even though it's risky to do, because if it was comfortable and easy, everyone would do it and there would be no there'd be no value in it, right? You're not going to build a valuable enterprise or provide a valuable service, et cetera, in all likelihood, if you don't try new things and build upon what people have done before.
2: And that's really, I, I don't know that you're born necessarily that everyone's born with their zone of genius. I think you uncover things and you develop it. So Chaz, you you know, I do a lot of webinars. I do a lot of public speaking. You've seen me on stage oh, right yeah. in front of, of four or 500 people. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, there was a time in my life where, you know, getting up in front of people, even when I was a kid and we had reading circle. I was terrified to read aloud in front of people. And, and so it was something that I didn't want to do and didn't like to do, but it was part of my company and my job. And you know now I love it, right? And right. I love to do it. And I've been able to not just change my life, but impact a lot of other people's lives from developing that skill. And so sometimes the things you fear most end up being things that change you in a profound way. In other words, you know, do what you fear most and you control fear. But beyond that is something I feared turned out to be something that really has changed my life.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I wonder from your perspective, if you could distill, going back to something you said earlier about, you know, three or four things you you looked at quarterly to sort of benchmark how you were, where you were headed. I wonder if we could distill that down into three or four things that maybe most businesses should look at not just MSPs but are there are there characteristics there that you think are that you've learned that that really helped you
2: Yeah so one thing I learned was you need to understand your financials right both your P&L and your balance sheet but in most businesses there are things that aren't on the P&L that are key drivers of cost and revenue they're like leverage points In my program, we call them smart numbers. Every business owner needs to know what those things are. Then you need to make sure you have great metrics around them. You have to know what best in class looks like on those things. And you have to set targets to exceed best in class on those few things in your business. And what that does is when you have a couple North stars, you are able then to start to look and say, okay, there's always a hundred things you can fix in a business. But many of them are symptoms. If you have the right drivers, you can say there's 100 things, but these are the five that are actually going to move to the needle. And what I have found is if you can do that and then put the discipline in place to execute you know, every quarter, most of the other stuff you were going to fix, it either goes away because it was a symptom or you have the time and the money that solve it. So the business people I see that just get stuck, they get to some level of revenue, a million, two million, three million, and they just stay there. It's because everything they're working on, they're fixing just whatever the symptoms, the problems that are presenting in their day-to-day, and they're not doing the things are going to put them somewhere different with those drivers in a few months or a year down the line.
1: Yeah, that's a different discipline, right? It's, you need to have the focus on fixing what's not going well, of course. But if your nose is down into those things all the time, you lose perspective on the future. You lose, you lose sight of your goals, right? Is that
2: yep, that, that's it. Like I figure it out in our business. And you know, one of my you know unique skills is I can take complex things and I can make them simple. I need to, right? I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, so I need to make things I need to make things simple. And so, you know, I found three basically three numbers that IT providers who are growing recurring revenue can look at. And if they can figure out all the decisions they have to make that drive those three numbers. Everything else takes care of themselves. When they get the, that P&L, it'll show the results.
1: Yes. If I think back years ago, I remember coming to talk to you one day for lunch or whatever we were doing. You were sitting at your desk and you had a dash, basically a, a spreadsheet dashboard up. And I'm not sure that I ever s- had seen anyone do that before. I know people do it, but I never saw anybody have one in operation. And I remember thinking, man, that guy knows what's going on all the time in his business.
2: I call that instrumentation. You need to have instrumentation and you need to share with your team that instrumentation. You know, I I find that most employees, even as as you grow your business, they want to do a good job, but many times we don't put them in a position like we give them too many tasks. We don't give them key metrics to drive them. And so they don't really know what success looks like. So part of it is you have to instrument your business in order to make it successful, but it's also how you make your teams and, and your people successful
1: yeah I think uh, well, I know both of us have in the past been influenced by books like the rockefeller habits and and vern harnish and and yeah. others that that really preach that. And certainly we use we've used that in the past and continue to dashboard things. And I know you're a big believer in that, obviously, uh, from your comments, but also from my personal experience with you, what do you think if if you could look back in your you know in your history, what do you think the things are that you would need to? You know, do better. What would you like to do better than, than you were doing before?
2: Yeah. So, a couple things, right? I, I think that um, early on, I, I suffered that upper limit problem. Like when I think about me now compared to me, you know, running my first business, I was very driven and, and people liked me, they trusted me and, and whatnot, but I made them kind of put up with me a little bit. And I I felt like that, you know, that, that drive is what would make me successful. And it, and it wasn't, that wasn't what was going to make me successful. It was making other people better and having command over, you know, having command over the business. So I would have had more perspective. I probably would have softened myself, you know, a little bit sooner than I did. And then the second thing, and, and this is the hardest thing to learn is really to let go of things. You can't grow a business like you have to continue to take stuff off and give it to other people and not expect that they're going to do it the way that you do it. But if you give them process and metrics, they will get the results You know, over time. That's been a hard lesson for me to learn, to empower people. But once you do it, it's the best thing ever. Your life is better. Their life is better. Your customers are better. But I held on to, to things a little too long.
1: I remember, Gary, coming down to uh, one of your conferences, it must be 10 years ago, or, or maybe not quite, just, just to see how you did your thing, because I, I knew it was going to be great, and I didn't know anything about being an MSP, and I just thought, let's just see how this comes off. And I remember you talking about finding your superpower Yeah, in that presentation. That must, that's been a long time ago, but you really impressed upon the audience the importance of identifying the thing that you are really good at and leveraging that thing.
2: Yeah. Like what your differentiator is, and and we had one in our business and and we, we just made sure that that one piece of our service, we were going to deliver that better than anyone had ever delivered it. So I think that every business needs a superpower. It needs a wedge. It needs that thing that your team has pride in, and you always prioritize it and it becomes your messaging and sales. And it becomes the value proposition, you know, as you deliver, you know, a product or, or, or a service. And when you have that, like I like to say, hey, I've had some, you know, success in my industry in sales, but I always say, well, it was an unfair fight. Like it's easy to sell when you have something that truly you believe has an aspect to it that's unique. Sales and marketing become completely different.
1: Yeah, it's a total different uh, set of goggles to look look at the world, right? When you're yeah. when you're when you're confident that you're doing the right thing and that you're adding value, I get it. Well, Gary, this has been you know, absolutely fantastic. I'm so appreciative of you taking the time. I know your schedule's crazy with your podcasts and your, your presentations, et cetera, but I want to just say thank you for, for joining me, and I hope we get a chance to have a follow-up call, follow-up conversation in the future. I would love to. With what the next chapter in, in Gary's career looks like, and maybe we can share some other ideas with the listeners. Awesome.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Chaz.
1: You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that discussion of upper limit problems and goals and running a business with Gary Pika. There's a link to Gary's uh, LinkedIn profile and his company in the show notes, as well as a complete transcript of today's episode. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Wealthcast. You can get all the details on this episode, our guests, and everything you need to know so you can create and enjoy the luxury of financial independence by visiting us at moderawealth.com slash thewealthcast. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you catch every episode. We'll see you next time on The Wealthcast. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.